Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. My name is Carol Andrews and I'm the Head of Alternative Investment Services in Europe for BNY Mellon. Leading woman Carol Andrews of BNY Mellon and the 30% Club Ireland Lead is the guest on the Women in Leadership podcast this week and she is some woman. As well as being a savvy businesswoman, she's an unrelenting advocate for women, particularly in financial services and in business generally. The 30% Club has evolved over the last number of years, has been hugely impactful. We now have 180 chairs and CEOs, supporters. And remember, that's from the top. So these are the top companies in Ireland that are supporting the 30% Club and our view that it makes better business sense to have a gender diverse management team. Carol believes that business has so much to gain from heeding the diversity agenda and putting the theory into practice, respecting the diversity of people and their ways of doing business. You'd certainly see from a wealth perspective, there's a different culture around how you'd approach your customer. There's a different culture in terms of how you might sit in the room. There's a different culture around how you might discuss things with them. And that's really hugely impactful when you think that you actually learn from all of that and how, if you respect that, you can really bring huge value to your customer. Carol is also a believer in stepping back and taking a good look at the diversity of teams in the workplace. And when there's something not quite right, doing something about it. It's about being brave and calling it out and it's not being it's not being afraid to say how you feel. Carol has had an unusual rise to such a senior position and she tells us how it all began. I went straight to work after school and worked in a variety of roles in the Irish Times, in a stockbrokers and finally in AIB and I moved to BNY Mellon as part of an acquisition. Um, and I'm really working in financial services most of my career. I'm married to my hugely supportive husband and I've one son, Tom, who's six. And I suppose one thing um, from myself in terms of personal is one of my biggest leadership challenges was combating the fact that I don't have a formal third level education or I didn't. So I'm now in the process of doing a master's in business through the IMI and UCC. So it's kind of been a revelation to me personally. It's a diploma led programme over three years taking me out of my comfort zone and I'm in year three. So does that mean going up to Sandyford? couple of nights a week? It does, yeah. So I go to Sandyford three days a month for a six month period and we do them in blocks of six months. And then you do what's called a reflective integrated assignment over the three programmes or diplomas. And uh, it's really been quite revelationary for me because it's given me time to take time out. And it's also given me headspace, which I found really wonderful. It must be very difficult to get headspace in the job that you're in. It's very high pressure very high pressure and timing time is of the essence and it's one of the things that I really working quite hard on trying to learn how to balance the time your own personal needs and one of the advices I've been given for myself personally is to try and make more time for self-care so it's to try and do the going to the gym getting up in the morning taking a bit of time for myself not speeding everywhere which is what I'm typically doing I'm permanently on the go and so it is and it has been really good for me in that way because it's actually given me time I don't love having to do all the essays but it's been very good for me and it's been a great learning experience Tell me about your journey up through I mean you say you were you went, it was part of a merger an acquisition or something was it yeah was that um was it a straight rise up through the to the top or you know was it a sideways move how did that happen you know did you put up your hand anytime there was an as a chance of promotion going? I, um, I don't believe that career advancement is a straight line. It never is a straight line. That's just not reality. So what I did was I moved from 
very much sideways in the beginning. I have a natural curiosity. It's very important to me to learn and to understand. So I got to know being my mel in all different departments. I learned different styles from different bosses. I spent a lot of time doing that. So I would my my absolute passion for was for learning. So I have a very curious nature. So also when opportunities came up, I took them. I got an opportunity to spend time in Brussels. I lived in our Brussels office for six months. Well, I lived outside of our Brussels, but I lived in Brussels for six months and it was a hugely valuable experience. I then got the opportunity to go to the States and I lived in New York for two years. And that for me was probably one of the most transformational because I got to learn a culture. I work for BNY Mellon. It, you know, it's headquartered in New York, 55,000 people. I got an opportunity to be based in headquarters to learn about the culture, to learn about the firm. And that really helped me in terms of a stepping stone and a platform for me in terms of building my career. So it's not a linear process at all. And it's really for yourself and your own want and build to actually try and build that out. And you mentioned culture there of the of the of the company is is BNY Mellon is that culture is diversity really important in BNY Mellon I think what's really important in BNY Mellon is diversity of thought so I think when we're all in a room together we're really going through a digital revolution at the moment we're looking at very much different platforms different technology and making sure that we have different ages different cultures different nationalities Um, together in the room trying to look at the future because the jobs we have now won't be the jobs we have in the future. So it's really around helping each other think slightly differently. And I might have been in the firm a long time. I might have some views around one thing, but a new person may have a different view. So that's really hugely impactful in terms of building out the future. Yeah, because I mean, your customer base are very diverse as well. The customer base are very diverse and a lot of our customers really more recently are seeing are coming from sort of pension funds and different parts of the United Arab Emirates. So it's very global and very different. So the diversity is huge, not just gender. So it's very important that we take that much broader lens when we're looking at our customer base. Yeah, because cultures do, particularly when it comes to money. I mean, there's a, a different Muslim way of dealing with money and different parts of the world deal with money in a different way. And I presume the Americans deal very differently with, with money and finances and, and wealth. Yeah, and you'd certainly see from a wealth perspective, there's a different culture around how you'd approach your customer. There's a different culture in terms of how you might sit in the room. There's a different culture around how you might discuss things with them. And that's really hugely impactful when you think that you actually learn from all of that and how, if you respect that, you can really bring huge value to your customer. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, tell me about your new role in the 30% Club. I'm fascinated with the, with the 30% Club. You seem to do great work. Well, I, we wanted to take action on the fact that gender stereotyping limits careers. Um, so progressing towards a gender balanced workforce. It's a voluntary organisation and our first country lead was Marie O'Connor. She's a partner in PwC and she retired earlier this year and I'm honoured to take it on. I've taken on the leadership role now for two years and when I, as we were talking earlier, gender balance is only one element of genuine inclusion, progress towards a gender balanced workforce and leadership is a critical step in having a genuinely inclusive workforce with the resulting benefits. So the 30% Club has evolved over the last number of years, has been hugely impactful. We now have 180 chairs and CEOs, supporters. And remember, that's from the top. So these are the top companies in Ireland that are supporting the 30% Club and our view that it makes better business sense to have a gender diverse management team. Do you think they're getting that message? 
I think it's slow and I would be honest in saying that, but I think all culture is slow as it can be seen from the evolution of where we started. We've gone from zero to 180 supporters. So I certainly think they are getting the message in the last number of years. I've been involved since 2010. That's a long time. I can see traction. I can certainly see see the chairs and CEOs much more invested and being much more popular. Each firm is at a different point. So you can look at some firms that are much further ahead. But I definitely feel we've made traction. In the 30% Club, we do some research every year. So we committed to doing research to bring us to 2020. We're in the third year. We have seen a small amount of you know improvement, but it hasn't been significant. I suppose on the board side, the numbers remain very static. But one of the things we've done is in conjunction with the government is input into the National Strategy for Women and Girls. By inputting into that, um, you'll know that in 2010, the UK Davis Review showed that women held 12.5% of FTSE board positions and set a target of increasing this to 25% by 2015. We are continuing to focus on that and the government has really been supportive in terms of that. So I've no doubt that we're going to be in a place of change in the future. When you hear about 30% first, you think that's not really very ambitious. We should be at 50-50, but it really is about a tipping point, isn't it? It is. It's like a critical mass. It is. And if you think about being in a room where there's one voice, really what we're saying is it's three voices, you know, versus in that potential. So all it is is a tipping point. Obviously, 50-50 would be amazing. But really what it is is about making sure you've got a diverse pool of people in the room when you're having a discussion. It doesn't need to be 30-40-50. It's just to be focused on that you actually have that diversity in the room. So 10 of something, not 10 all at the same. Mm. And I believe um, there was an English academic, um, Elizabeth Keelan, who says, you know, you have one woman, it's the token woman. If you've got two women, it's the girls. If you have three women in a group of 10. It's a voice. Yeah. And also there's a diversity even between the women. Yeah. So you get a different experience. Yeah, no, exactly. And I recently attended a meeting where um, there was 14 men in the room and I called it out. I'm not afraid to say that. I said do we think this is appropriate? So we go into a client meeting, there's 14 of us and me. Is that the right message that we want to give for being my melon? It wasn't that they hadn't thought about it. Genuinely, they'd just gone into the room blind and there was nine, you know, 14 people in the room and me. So we then thought about what is that message giving and actually are we saying what we actually really feel? And so we'd step back, cut the numbers down and made sure we had the right level of diversity there. So it's about being brave and calling it out and it's not being it's not being afraid to say how you feel. That needs to be a person with a lot of courage, which you obviously are. What would you say to other women who don't have that courage or they're just finding that courage, you know, to put their hand up and say, you know, just to call it out? Well, one of the things I've I've thought about and I've thought about this quite um, for quite some time um, is really. If you if you really believe and you have like minded people around it, just do it. I, I I think that if you're brave and you say it, you don't have to say it in an aggressive way. I think you can say it in a calm way, but you just believe. And I honestly believe, so I'm not afraid to say it, but I don't, I'm not doing it looking for an argument. I'm just doing it because I passionately believe in it. And I think if you believe in something, you should say how you feel. I think people get it when you do come from that heart space yeah. as well. Tell me, I think I know the answer to this one already, but um, how did you get involved with the 30%? I'd say Breedhorn had something to do with it, she did she? She sure did. Um, I, I don't know, when you're talking about these sort of three people in my life, and actually they're women, but there's three people in life that I was inspired by. One is my grandmother. My grandmother worked in AIB all her life until the marriage bar and she left um, and obviously had to leave. She, she was, My grandfather also worked in AIB. And... Um, 
And she passionately believed in women, not in specifically around equality. She, I wouldn't she would never have called herself a feminist. Um, second to that then was Brie Horn. Um, and for anyone who knows Brie, she has a passion for equality. She has a passion for seeing people as they truly are and for bringing people behind her. It's one of her great gifts. She puts her hand behind and brings people on a journey with her. And thirdly, then, is Anne Fogarty. And Anne Fogarty would have been one of the colleagues that I worked with in BNY Mellon who's gone on to take on a global role. She's taken on a role in the United States with a very large pool of women reporting to her, but she, or a poo, sorry, she with a very large pool of people working for her. Um, each of those have brought their own in terms of getting me involved. But I would say from my own perspective, it's my passion around, I want to work in a world and live in a world where we're all treated equally. And I want us to be able to make choices equally. So that's where it came from. And certainly Breed helped me on the journey. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so straightforward. But why is it so bloody hard? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, um, I wrote a blog recently and one of the one of the points in the blog was there was um, I was reading over the summer where there was a shoe by um, a well-known retailer where they had one shoe called the leader, which was the boy's shoe and the second shoe called the dolly babe. And for me, it's that meta narrative that we're growing up with um, that's quite surprising. So really what we have to remember is the meta narrative that's right throughout our lives is actually there and still present. So I think that's why it's hard, because that piece needs to change and it is changing. My nieces and um, are, you know, in their 13, 14, 15, and they're very aware that there's no difference between a boy and a girl. So for them, I think it's gen- it, it, it's nothing. They they already believe it. So I don't think we're going to see in the future much of a difference. I think it's really in our time now that we have to look at the how we're talking, what way we talk and how we describe things. I was talking to Clodagh Hughes recently as well, and we were both saying, like, it's great when you start off, you're full of uh, ambition as a woman just leaving school or university or whatever. And then you go into the workplace and then you get to about 28, 29 or 30. And then the boys start passing you out. I call it the mid-career boy bypass. A lot of that is about unconscious bias and unconscious bias as well. But are you you optimistic that, you know, that that mid-career phase will be getting a bit easier for women from now on? I definitely am. Um, And what I also am is passionate that we all help each other to do that. So I would say to every woman and to everybody who's working with middle management, it's your obligation to step and put your hand behind just like Brie did to really help people who need that nudge and it's not just women who need the nudge it, you have to understand some women might take a break they might need to take a break some men might need to take a break that can happen in the middle management but at that point in your life you, things change you get a you know you might have a mortgage you're looking at different financial pressures and you do need some support so it's incumbent on us to support I've seen some great changes. I've seen some really powerful work done around mentoring and um, around really sponsoring people to bring them through their careers. And that's incumbent on us as leaders to do that. So I'm hugely optimistic. Um, But I do think we need to do it together and collaboratively. It's funny what you're saying there, but, you know, men benefiting. I think men benefit hugely, you know, being allowed to be carers as well at certain points in their life. Because, you know, men and women all need to opt out of the workforce now and again, you know, whether it's an elderly parent, a young child or a partner who's sick, you know. So would you agree with that? Do you think it's important for men to take that time out now and again too? I think it's hugely important. And I think as part of 
the evolution of what we've seen in terms of parents and co-parenting and dual careers, you'll see that men are taking a different type of responsibility than they did before. So, for example, dropping their children to school, collecting their children from school, alternatively taking breaks from minding parents. You know, I'm part of the sandwich generation where we are spending time, more time looking after our parents. But more and more that's shared and that responsibility is shared. So that level of flexibility is hugely important, particularly um, for men, because they may not have seen it previously and it benefits them hugely. And remember, at the end of the day, if the employee is happy, they're going to be more productive. So that gives you better results in the long term. So keeping an employee happy, getting better loyalty is how we show if we show them flexibility, they show it back in spades. What do, what do you believe needs to change, though, the most for women in, in the business world? Is it the culture of organisations? As you were talking about there, about women being mentored and encouraged to be more confident. Is it a combination of both? Is it a bit of culture and a bit of mentoring? What, what's what's the magic formula? And I suppose the first thing to remember is that there's a compelling business case for diversity. So research has proven it. More Having more women in organisations and in senior leadership role improves financial performance. Um, I think many women have felt the effects of the gender gap during their careers and whether it was a pay dispute, a lost promotion or a snide comment. If your work environment champions equality, and you probably know people who face some kind of discrimination, subtle or not, because of their gender, I really believe if you act like there's equality where you work, there will be. So if you have that confidence. Um, in trying to understand career progression for males and females, the 30% Club felt it was hugely important to understand the data. And I think that's something that's fundamental in terms of actually delivering that back to the company. So making sure that we understand what the data says about your company and understanding what the data produces. I feel very strongly that, again, as I said, it's incumbent in terms of how we provide support. And I think from us as leaders, if we are really supportive and give that level of support to both men and women, we'll see them achieving as they go through their careers. Do companies like BNY Mellon, are they good at gathering data on diversity? Yeah, we have. BNY Mellon has uh, recently published the Return on Equality report, which is really around the data, as I said, which is the proven data. From an Irish construct, it's actually very interesting. Since we've started publishing it, we want to publish it more because the numbers are quite good. Um, And looking at the numbers, we've seen a 50-50 in terms of to be expected, as you see, as people come in from student, etc., there's 50-50. And at senior management, it's actually nearly at 40% in Ireland, which is very positive. There's more work to be done. There's different grades that we need to look at. And I think understanding what diversity means in terms of the employee and what you can get from the employee and your own business results is something that we're continuing to work with. But from BNY Mellon's perspective, we're absolutely invested in understanding diversity and understanding the data. And it's, it's, it is also about inclusion. So it's to try and understand what we need to do to be better, to be more inclusive again, to make sure that the employee is comfortable and happy. It sounds like BNY Mellon have a handle on the whole data thing, but are there? do you think there's a lot of Irish companies who really haven't paid much attention to this and who could benefit from that sort of attitude and that, you know, making it a, a key performance indicator, is that the right term? Uh, you know, key performance indicator is the right term, and I do think that there are Irish companies that are absolutely at the top of their game and understanding the data and driving the data and there are others not so much and we're not necessarily at the right point where we're able to pitch that data just yet 
we are as a 30% club doing some uh, research with the financial services group. So we've got three groups in the financial service, er, three groups in the 30% club with the financial services group, the agri-food sector and with the professional services. On the financial services side, the data, each of the companies that are supporting from a financial services perspective is very aware that something like a charter may help. So we've looked at, I'm sure you've seen that previously, the HM Treasury has a charter, which would you believe 100 companies have signed up to, which means that we are at a critical point where we're now looking to establish that KPI because that means that eventually you would publish that data in um, your year-end accounts. People would be able to see that and that means that you're held accountable. So, you know, eventually, and what we have seen more of now is that companies are being, are holding their executives to account in terms of remuneration um, around their targets and around the delivery of that data. So it's more than a nice to have. It's definitely more than a nice to have. And we're certainly seeing that from the perspective of the firms that are delivering it, they have seen increased improvement in terms of productivity. So making sure that you get that data and and have that recorded is going to be fundamental. So this is real, Carol. This is real. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, to get back to something else that's really real, motherhood. Having babies, I mean, it's it's always, what do they say? It's a fatherhood bonus and a motherhood <laughs> negative, whatever <laughs> it is. Um, you know, when you go to do the research and there's a lot of uh, bias against motherhood and it's very hard being a mom and holding down a job. Is it is it an impossible combination? Is there any give in the system for Well, for I suppose women? I am a mum, so I do believe that it's possible. And um, I think what is really important um, for women is not to be super mum. Um, I, I, I don't think that you can do everything. And I guess from my perspective, I had to learn that. I had to learn that not everything was going to be perfect. Sure, what's perfect anyway? Yeah. You know? um, I think that this is where the truly authentic leader shines, because if you can bring yourself and who you are into work and, and particularly into your own life, I think that if you approach it, like Cheryl Sandberg said, make your partner a real, pong, a real partner, you know, then you can actually make success of it. it. But it is actually by having a very conscious discussion with those that are around you. You may not have a partner if you don't have a partner. You know, there's people around you that need to help and you, you can't do it alone. And I passionately believe that you can be a mum, but you need to be organised and you need to rely on people around you and you need a support network that can help you do the delivering. But I absolutely do think you can do it. I think you need to let people help you, don't you? <laughs> Sometimes we do. think we should be able to do it all. And I, I know talking to a lot of women who, who don't even think about getting someone to help them with a bit of housework. You know, they think I should be able to do all that and they do it on a Saturday when really they should be out having a bit of fun with the kids. Yeah, but you, and I think should is not a great word for mm. a woman to use because we're terrible at doing that. It brings in an element of guilt. And I mm. think um, if you can rely on your network, mentors, peers, friends, you know, if you do need a bit of help with the cleaning, you should go for it. I think um, it's very important that you have the support, an empathetic ear when you need it, somebody to really support you when you need it. And then try as a mum to get to the things that are important to you. I made it very conscious decision at the beginning the things that were most important to me I would never miss and I've never done that but I've missed lots of things but the ones that were important to me I haven't got there yeah I think what you say about you know marrying the right person that was another line from Cheryl Sandberg's you know marry the right person or get the right supportive person have the right partner (laughs) have the right partner and that partner could be your husband that partner could be your mum that Mm -hmm. partner could be whoever you need in terms of helping you and supporting you around that Mm -hmm. but you can do it Mm -hmm. and you have to keep hold to your own dreams I'm a great believer in that (laughs) is there anything that employers can do to kind of help moms and help 
parents, I suppose, rather than mums now. Is there anything companies can do? Yeah, I think making the workplace more family friendly is important. Um, it starts with family friendly values. So you're looking at paid maternity leave, paternity leave and supporting people when there's a short time. In the grand scheme of a career, when you're out of the office, it's a very short time. If you look at most people's careers now, they're over 50 years. You know, if you're taking a year out, that's nothing. So flexible working arrangements, you know, facilities for parents to drop the children to school, collect them, working from home. For me, family-friendly policies reduce absenteeism and, of course, offering family-friendly policies help complete or help compete and widen the talent pool. So most importantly, it helps with staff retention and studies have shown that employees are more likely to be loyal who to the employers who offer such policies. Yes, we know that even yeah. from talking to people that they're always enthusiastic and if somebody, it's not, it's like payback, you feel you owe it to the company if they've been decent or even halfway as decent to you. Um, before we finish, what are the top three things you think that a company can do to improve the pipeline, you know, the, the leadership pipeline of women in their company? Any suggestions? I think it should come from the top. I think leadership is critical. Improvement will come if the leaders are accountable. And I think if they see and if if, if your teams and your junior teams and your mid-level manager teams can see it from the top, I think that that's where success will come. I do believe in targets for diversity, so I think each firm should set targets. I think in having targets and not being afraid to publish the data will help bring change and it'll help bring change collaboratively for your firm, but also for Ireland and for the community. So I think it's important to set targets. And I think that for me, firms should ensure that these targets are monetized. So an intention to have remuneration linked to the targets is very important because if you, you know, show me the money, nothing hurts more than the wallet. (laughs) Very, very good. Um, What are your own top five pieces of advice? We're into the numbers here. Uh, Five pieces of advice for career minded women. Well, as you know, I love the numbers, but um, don't go go it alone. Ask for support. If you have two or three like minded people to bounce things off, it makes an incredible difference. I think what is very important is be yourself. Don't try and be something you're not. Just be yourself and be proud to be yourself. Um, And one I've probably followed all my life is feel the fear, but do it anyway. So take the opportunity and go for it. I didn't want to go to the States. I was nervous. My grandma, I was very close to my grandmother and she wasn't well, but just go for it. I did and it changed my life. One that I've learned more recently is listen, really listen. If you if you listen, you learn much more than when you're talking. You learn hugely from understanding and listening. And the last one is education. And it's really be curious, learn. It's the passport to the future. Carol, thank you very much. That was fantastic. And I love your advice about listening. I don't think in all the years I've been doing this, nobody's ever said that. And it's really, really true and very, very important. Yeah, you learn so much more when you listen. Wise words there from Carol Andrews. Get listening and also don't be afraid to call it out when the diversity of your team starts looking a little out of kilter with reality. And my favourite bit of advice from Carol is, because it's so difficult for us women often, don't go it alone. Ask for support. My thanks to Carol Andrews of BNY Mellon and the 30% Club in Ireland. By the way, the 30% Club has just published their report, Making the Change Count, a study of women in financial services in Ireland, asking how does your company gender stats add up? It's well worth a read if you work in financial services or in any business. It's presented by Andrea Dermody and Niamh McLaughlin.
do keep emailing and tweeting us your stories and your suggestions. We love to hear about you and where and when you listen to the podcast. And the Women in Leadership podcast is always interested in hearing about inspirational women who are making a difference in any aspect of life. You can get in touch by emailing info at womeninleadership.ie if you have any suggestions for women you'd like me to interview, especially if it's someone we haven't heard much from before. If you or your organisation is interested in advertising or sponsoring the podcast, do get in touch with us today and we'd love to hear from you too. You can direct message us, DM us on Twitter at LeadingWomenPod or email info at womeninleadership.ie. Until the next time, from me and Jim Mazzetti and all the Women in Leadership team, goodbye and take care.